You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Turn to Revelation chapter number 2, and when you find that, I'd ask that you'll uh, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And I've done some studying, and this is really the first time I've preached out of Revelation and done some um, studying through it. And uh, it is the one book of the Bible that God does promise out of every book of the Bible that you study and you learn from, you will be blessed from. But the book of Revelation specifically, God says in chapter number one, you study and learn what's taking place in here as an individual believer that you will be blessed by that because the book of Revelation isn't so much a book to scare the lost into getting saved as much as it is an encouragement and to be a blessing to us as believers. And uh, in, a, in a culture, in a society that's gone off the rails, and I would say gone off the rails, it would probably be the best way to describe it. We need something to look forward to, do we not? And we, we need something that we can take and apply to our lives and something that we know that God will get us through those times when things go sideways, right? Yeah. And uh, so that's book of Revelation is a very good book for, for that. And, uh, and I want to look in Revelation chapter number two um, and beginning in verse number one, a very familiar portion of scripture. But again, don't allow familiarity to rob you of the truth that God would want you to hear tonight. All right, in verse number one, it says, Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And just by, just by background, that one that stands in the midst of the candlesticks is the Lord Jesus Christ. The seven golden candlesticks uh, represent the seven churches here. So we have Christ at work in the midst of, it, midst of his uh, churches, and uh, if you say, well, I don't know if I agree with that, well, we can go out for coffee, and we can go over that later, all right, take a little bit, but it's there. In verse number two, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. And has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. That's not good. And he says, Because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, and except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith uh, unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now I just want to reiterate a couple things here before we pray and be seated. But in verse number two, he says, I know thy works. Yeah. And then in verse number four, Nevertheless, I am somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. All right? 
Well, may God, well, let's pray and then we'll be seated here. God, I just want to pray tonight that you'll help as we open up your word. There are many people here that came tonight to hear from you, and God, that's exactly what we need to do tonight. God, I need your help as much as the people need your help to hear and to understand your truth. And so we're going to pray for thy Holy Spirit to do a work in our, in our midst. I pray that your, your spirit would have liberty to do a great work tonight. And God, where we are found lacking, I would pray, God, you will give us a spirit of humility, a spirit of confession, a spirit that's willing to make things right. Oh, God, I just pray you'll work in our service, and I pray and ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Well, I know that uh, for, the, for the year, and uh, we've had a, had a theme for the church, and I'm, I'm thankful that the banner's back up here tonight for, for Love Works, and, I, and Jacob, did you put that back up there? Well, all right, so you, you helped out with tonight's message, so I'm thankful that Love Works is, is back up there, and uh, we've been, uh, we, pastors, been going over a lot of messages, and different truths relating to that love works. And we're going to continue on that tonight, and I believe that God had directed me uh, towards that very thing. And you may, so don't just sit there and go, well, now we are, what, 15 messages into love works, and, and now we're going for number 16, and we're, and you just start drowning me out and, and start looking for one. But obviously, for the repetition of it, and uh, God obviously wants us to get this and, and to be a part of our lives and, and maybe see something different uh, presented uh, from God's word than even what's been here uh, presented before this. So as we look at this tonight, I, I want to ask you a question, and maybe if you're sitting by your spouse, you may not want to answer this one out loud or not. But it, uh, but it may be a question that maybe you're even embarrassed about a little bit. But uh, let me ask you this. Who was the first love in your life? Now, just think about that. Because I, I, I went to public school and stuff like that. And I've seen enough girls' notebooks where they got little hearts in there and little initials and stuff. This initial plus this initial, you know. And they, and they, just, about, they just giggle and melt when someone runs in the room. I think probably all of us have had probably someone like that, that that's their first love. And, and I can think of even, uh, even in, my, in, my own, in my own life, and I could think back and uh, won't name names, not that you would know the person anyways, and I want my wife to still like me when I get home, but, uh, you know, but I had my first love, you know, so to speak, when I was in high school, and man, I thought, you know, that it was just the world's longest relationship because we had been together for like over a year. And I do want to just say, take the opportunity, praise the Lord. We had our anniversary on Friday and we were married 22 years. I'm like, I'm like, in comparison to that high school thing, I'm like, how did we make 22 years? You know, one year when you're in high school, you thought, man, these guys are, you know, they're ready, they're serious. And, uh, but 22 years, so we do praise the Lord uh, for that and for his work. But, uh, but I can think back to that and uh, spend a lot of time with this individual. I worked with her, and uh, so that's where I met her at my job, and so she's from another town. So we did all these things together. And, um, but, you know, after I graduated high school, that, that relationship uh, ended. 
And if you were to ask me at that time when I was in high school, I would say most certainly, man, I just love this girl. And now I look back, and as I'm even doing this message tonight, and I look back over that experience, and maybe even in your own life you could think of somebody like that in your own life, and really ask yourself, was that really love that I experienced in relationship to that? I would venture to say that what I thought was love was not really love, because really if it would have been, I would probably have her still as a relationship in my life. But at that time, I had believed myself that what I had possessed was what I would consider being love in, in my life. Now, just can, now, with that in mind, I want to take that line of thinking and I want to apply it to our, to our Love Works theme. Okay? I want to apply it to our Love Works theme. Now, again, a lot of teaching and preaching and applying has gone into exactly what Love Works is. Love Works is really uh, is very broad in its aspect of how it manifests itself in our lives. Because as we've been in the book of James, that if you have faith, you're going to show it by your works. And Love Works is really just another form of saying your faith should therefore produce works in, our, in your life. Just as in 1 John we've been looking at, if you, really, if you understand God's love in your life, you should really want to express those works in your life. And so it could be manifest in so many different ways. It could be uh, trying to help some lost soul get across the parking lot on this ice skating rink. It could be scooping someone's driveway out. It could be greeting a visitor. It could be a Sunday school teacher. It could be giving a, it could be giving a message. It could be visiting a, a shut-in. It could be writing a note to somebody else as a way of, a way of encouragement. It could be just as simple as obeying your parents as, as, a, as a saved teenager. It could be a whole variety of ways. And I want you in your own life to think about those things that in your own life that are personal, that you would say, okay, if I was going to put this up, that this would fall under the category of love works. And I would hope that you could look at your life tonight and say, okay, here are these things in my life that I could clearly, definitively identify as love, love works. So think about that just for a moment, and maybe just a, a handful of those, and maybe they just pop into your mind. And as those come into your mind, I want to ask, ask you this. Though you have these love works, are they really love works? Now, that's a legitimate question. Are the love works that you would so expressly declare, and maybe if I would say raise your hand and this is what you would express as your love works, I would want to ask you this question, is your love works really love works? Because the reality is this, just because you have love works doesn't mean love works. Yeah. You got that? Just because you have love works is not of a necessity that you have a love that works. And that's exactly what we are looking at here tonight because we need to look and understand this because it is altogether possible, just as I was as a teenager, to deceive myself into thinking that this girl that I was with, I loved her so much, it is, I deceived myself into thinking it was love when it really wasn't. And we may get ourselves into a position 
where our love works, that we, are, we deceive our own selves into thinking that my love works is really love works. It, it, is, a, it is a reality that we, that we must deal with. And so much so that you say, well, I don't know if it's as bad as you make it out to be. This is the first thing that Christ wrote to seven different churches. He says, there has got to be a reason of importance that Christ would say, this is what I want you to look at. And what we are going to look at in, when we look at the book of Revelation and something from that, I'm not looking at it for the time period or the frame that we're in, but I want personal, practical application to my life that's going to make a difference. And when I look at this portion of scripture and what you need to do and what we as a church need to do is look at this tonight and say, is my love works really working or am I deceiving myself into thinking that what I am so proud of really is not anything that the Lord is interested in or that he is even approving of. And so we're going to understand that and look at that tonight. And I will give you my outline. Normally I don't do that. And you'll see how it unfolds itself. But you're going to see love works. But love works doesn't really mean love works. Though love works may not really mean love works, it can. And not only can it, it can be maintained. So not only, so love works, but though love works, it may not mean love works. But though love works, and it may not mean love works, but it can, and then it can also be maintained. And I think we'll see that clearly tonight. Now, when, I, when we look at the, the church that's being written to here in, in Ephesus, it is good for us to really to get the application we need for it, to really understand this church and where it's, where it's located at at this time and exactly what is going on. Because the city of Ephesus was not just some little lowly town like Bethlehem. I mean, this is a booming metropolis. I mean, this is a sea uh, coast type city that was known for its harbor. It's known for its, known for its trade. They say that it would be considered the vanity fair of the day that it was in. In other words, it was a cross-section where not only are you bringing in culture and society that would be from shipping, but also over land through the Roman road. So you got things coming from the east, you got things coming to the west. And you can imagine in modern-day Turkey, this is where it would be located. So you got things coming in from all over the place. Well, what comes with that is all, the, though it was rich and prosperous... It was a very poor town also at the same time. By poor, I would mean this. Morally, and it was very, very poor town. It, it, was, it was basically what Corinthian, uh, the church in Corinth was and where it was founded at. That's what Ephesus was like in another, another location. It was, um, uh, as one person said, no one could live in Ephesus without weeping at the immorality which he saw on every side. And we know that the immorality and the culture that it was in, just how bad it was, because they had one of the seven wonders of the world that were in that city. And we know about it, because it's in the book of Acts. 
in the book of Acts, it, talk, it talks about Diana, the, uh, the worship of the goddess Diana. Her temple was there. And Diana, I'm just telling you, this Diana was, was no good. I, I'm just telling you, it was another one of those uh, gods who, whose representation was that of sexuality and in all the other uh, things that went along with it to where you would, temple prostitution would be a normal thing. And so you have that kind of pervasive spirit and that which is going, or going around in that kind of culture. And it's in that backdrop one of the greatest churches ever was planted. And just how it got started was just a miracle in itself. You read Acts chapter number 19, and uh, we don't have time to go there tonight, but what a wonderful chapter, because it begins with Paul went there and he found some, the Bible says some believers, and they said, uh, did you hear about Jesus Christ? And, and they said, well, all we've heard about is John. And then he explains to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. They get baptized, and they, and they break out in, in tongues, four languages, just in case you want to know. And it was, it was amazing. Then you read a little bit later that there's a guy that was possessed of a devil, and they have these Jewish uh, exorcists thought, well, we can do this. Paul's doing all this work in the name of Jesus. We'll go in there. I don't know. You need to laugh at your Bible when you read it. Because these guys went in there, and uh, this devil's like, man, we know this Jesus. We know this Paul. But I have no idea who you guys are. And chased them out there, tore them up. And, I mean, it had to be a sight with these guys running half naked down the road with their clothes torn off. Because that's what it tells us. It was a sight to behold. But you know what? God used that because it's a great fear fell upon that area. A lot of people said, man, that God is pretty powerful. This Jesus. And then it said Paul did all these miracles there. I mean, you send him your handkerchief and things were happening. I mean, it was an amazing thing. And I mean, this church was blowing and going. I mean, it was a phenomenal thing to behold. These, a lot of these, these other letters are probably a result of what happened in Ephesus. Because the Bible says that the word of God went out greatly throughout that area, and many believed. It became an epicenter. It was like the center of an earthquake was taking place in Ephesus. And the word of God was being spread all over the place. And what a great church to think. Man, we've had some good pastors in the back, but I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm sorry. You don't match up, all right? Because they had Paul to plant the church there. They, they had some of Paul's helpers there. Aquila and Priscilla, they were there. They led, a, they led another man, Apollos, to the Lord. He worked there in Ephesus for a while. Paul left Timothy behind in Ephesus, and he pastored the work for a while. And just to throw some icing on top of it, if you believe tradition, then John the Apostle, he finished his last days at the church of Ephesus. Now I'm going to tell you this, that's a remarkable church, if you would agree with me tonight. I mean, that's a wonderful church planted by an apostle himself, one born out of due season. God doing great works in this church. You say, that's a wonderful work and our wonderful church. And as great as that church was, now you can imagine this, the works that they were doing were even greater than that. Because Christ didn't even commend them like, man, you have a great church. There's a lot of churches planted around here, but none like you. Man, you have a who's who among Baptist churches. That's not what he mentioned. He wanted to talk to them about their works. 
and he was commending them for, for their works. They, they had works and a testimony that, need, that was worthy to be admired. You see, Christ, and walking in the midst of this church, did some expecting. And he said, I've noticed some things about you. And what he noticed here to begin with is, I would want them to be noticed. Because he said, I know thy works and thy labor. The word labor literally has the idea about such exertion you work to the point where you pass out. You ever have those days where you work like 10 hour, 12 hour days and you go home and I've fallen asleep at the supper table before because I'm so tired. Like maybe you should just go to bed. Worthy point. But this is what they were. They were working for the Lord. They were laboring together. A work that was worthy. Clearly, they, they, were, they were reaching out to other people in their, in their community. They were, they were uh, I would believe that the altars had to be full. I, I believe that they were sharing with one another. That they were helping each other's burdens out here. They were laboring and working in the city that they found themselves in. And even amongst their, the others uh, of their church. He says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. You see, there, uh, believe it or not, not everybody's excited about when you're excited about the Lord. And not everybody was excited. How do we know what kind of trouble they had in? Well, they were about ready to destroy Paul in Acts uh, 19, I believe it is, or 20 when they uh, go there because they thought, well, Paul's going to make the, the whole temple business go bankrupt there, which I wish it would have went bankrupt. But they were worried about that thing. They were like, well, this is going to go, we're going to go belly up. And so they had a, almost had a riot on their hands. I mean, it was, it got ugly. They had to say, Paul, you don't want to go down there. Those guys don't want to hear you're preaching today. Let you find another crowd to preach to today, all right? It'll be all right. We'll take care of this one for you. But they had to endure a lot. When you're salt and light, you're not popular. Light exposes darkness. Salt stings. And it causes pain. And the church in Ephesus, no doubt, they were out there saying, this Diana is not the true and living God. There is one true and living God, and you are angering him every single day that you're down here worshiping this false God. But the true and living God sent his own son to redeem you from these things that aren't truly God at all, that cannot save you for a moment. And they were not welcome for that. And they had to patiently endure when the going got tough, the tough didn't get going here. They endured. They went through all of these things. And then it says, and, uh, and how thou canst bear them which are, which are evil. They were living separated, holy, godly lives. They didn't want their, even their garments spotted by the world. They couldn't stand the things that, that were evil. And it says, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not. And has found them liars. And in verse 6, but thou hast, uh, but this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, if you look at the Nicolaitans, it's not necessarily a definitive definition. But I can tell you this for certainty it wasn't good and it was causing problems. It was a false doctrine within the church, most likely. There was, it was a, an attempt to divide the upper class from the lower class or the clergy from the, from the people. And they were like, 
We are going to be theologically sound. We are going to be orthodox. Christ uh, broke down that middle wall of partition. We are all even at the cross. I, you can say that you're greater than so and so, but nobody is greater than anyone else. You may have different functions and roles, but we're all even. And they were going to stand up there. I, I, I mean, I think there have been some old boy that if some preacher got up and said something in there that it, you'd see some old boy raise his hand and go, you know, that just does not sound right. That's not what, that's not what Paul has been saying. That, you know, Timothy was here last week, and uh, that's not even remotely close to what he was saying. I think there have been some people calling out false, false. That's what I get from this. I mean, these guys, they were going to be on the straight and narrow. We're going to follow the truth. We've been saved from falsehood. We are going to stand for this. And we're not going to stand for anyone who's going to try to teach us contrary to this. Now, what a fantastic, what a fantastic uh, church. They were going to stand on the word of God. And they were a discerning church. I mean, you've got to be walking in the spirit really to be discerning. I mean, if you're, if you're not walking with the Lord, it's really hard to discern from your left and right hand between good and evil than true and false. The closer you are to the light, it's easier it is to see the air. And that's exactly where they were at. So this church, I think if you're with me and would agree tonight, that this church truly, as great as its founding was, was even greater in its works. And when I look at this, is this not a snapshot and a picture of where we want to be or where we are heading? Isn't this where you would want to be as an individual and as a church? When I look at this, this is exactly what, what, what we are trying, trying to do. That we would want to have a church that is exactly like this. That Christ could come in the midst of us, in the middle of our candlestick, so to speak, he said... I know thy works. And these, these, there's some good things going on around, around here because you guys are, are listening to the word of God. You're hearing what's preached. You're applying it. You're actually going home and rightly dividing the word of truth. You're making application in your life. And you're not just going to believe what somebody else says. You're going to find out what God says. And you're not going to be led astray by these false doctrine out there that God says you can just come any way you want or there's multiple ways to get to heaven. You're not going to buy into all that. And that you're a church that's faithful, that, that even though it's an ice storm or a snowstorm, they still can count on people making it to church here. Like, well, we, we might have been 15 minutes late, preacher, but we are still here. Those kind of people, you know what I'm saying? And those kind of people that, that uh, when we have a sign-up sheet, we have to have extra because there's so many people that want to get involved in it. People that are standing in line and, and wanting to work. Those that want to be a witness to other people. That's, the, that's what they were doing. They had a, uh, uh, we need a people that, and a church that's just like this. And I think that's where we're heading. I think that's the reason why God's given us the, the pastors that he has given to us. I mean, I know where a pastor has come from. I know his background enough and I know what he was taught. I know where, I think I have an idea where you're going. And I think this is where he's trying to frame us. Into this, what, like the church in Ephesus really was in their works and their labor. But you know, wouldn't it be nice if this is in, into the message? 
Wouldn't it be nice if we could just say, hey, this is what Christ wants from you. This is what we're trying to be. So let's, uh, let's go down here and commit ourselves to good, doing good works. And let's labor. And let's make sure that we're standing on the truth. And we're doctrinally sound. Man, let's just go down there and pray. But Jesus said, hold, hold, hold it. He always starts off nice. And then he gets, really gets down to business. Because... What Jesus is going to tell him is, you had all those things? You would agree with me they had love works? And he said, you know what? Your love's, your love's not working. And you might say, you just labored for how long on this? And now you just said, they had all these love works. They did, but their love wasn't working. And that's exactly what Jesus' message was. So I'm looking at verse number four. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. May I just say you need to be careful reading that verse. It said they left it. They didn't lose it. They left it. That's, that's two totally, entirely different subject matters. The one isn't true. Because you can't lose the love, because I'm telling you this, the love that they had was given to them. Read Ephesians chapter number 2. Again, we're not going to turn there tonight. You can go ahead and read that too. And you read in there, and it's talking about how they had re, how they had been called out of darkness, that they were children of darkness, and now their, their lives have been changed. They were passed from death unto life. And it's just an amazing chapter, and it's talking about it was because of the love of God and his mercy that was shed towards them. So you can't lose you can never lose the love. So that's, that's, that's important. Because that means that once you're saved, you're always saved. And I kind of still believe that, and I hope you do too. That your love that you receive from God is unmerited because we didn't do anything to re- have that love. It was just freely offered to us through Jesus Christ. So when you read this verse, be careful. It doesn't say that they lost their love. But they certainly, Jesus said they, were, they had left it. The idea behind it is this, that their love, which Christ had commended them for, was starting to decline. Even in the midst of the works that they were doing, their love was on the decline. It's kind of like at this time of year, and I kind of miss it, is the wood-burning stove that we had in our house in, in Minot. And you go ahead and you just chuck wood in that thing and get it going uh, overnight. But you know what happens overnight if you don't get up? It just, you know, I mean, it starts off really nice, but you get up in the morning, it's like, it's kind of chilly in here. And there might still be some warm embers in the bottom, but the fact of the matter is what it is in the morning was not what I started it out to be, but I had a fire in there. I certainly did. And this church certainly had that fire to begin with. But it's as if the fire is beginning to die. Even while they are working. You see, they, their love was in a decline. And Jesus said, you have left your first love. And by the first love, I believe that Christ is, is directly telling us this. Well, there could be two things, and I think both of them are ap- applicable here. The first love is that, fir- that first fervent, excited love when, like, you first get saved. 
I mean, I remember when I first got got saved. I was I was in I was in prison, and I just remember going back from a from a service to my room, and I was just singing and having a good time. Amen. And people were looking at me like, "What happened to you?" I I don't know. I just went to a church service. This stuff's pretty fun, and I enjoyed it. I, I mean, and uh, man, it was a, it was exciting. You remember when you first got saved? Yeah. Man, how it was. I mean, everything was new. Man, you couldn't. I mean, it's, forget what was on your telephone or forget what was on TV. Man, they're having church. I'm going to church. If they have visitation, boom, I'm going to be on visitation. They, they have that going on in the church? That sounds good to me. I'm going to read my Bible. I just love to do this. I can pray for hours on end. Do you remember those days? When you that first love, that, that zeal. Remember when you, you're, if you're married and you met your spouse? You first got married, and that zeal and that love that you experienced, like for the first time, you know when it's a real thing. You know, you know when it's a real thing. Like you're talking to her for four hours on the phone, and cumulative as a guy myself, I probably had never talked four hours on the phone ever in my first 20 some years of my life, but then talked for four hours on the phone to, to some woman, you know, I'm just like, Man, God, this is a little bit different. And then even that wasn't enough. Then we had to write letters to each other and stuff like that. So it's like we couldn't all figure it out in the phone calls. And now we're writing letters to each other. And you just do all those things, you know, hold, holding doors. And then you, you're just, like, lost in each other's eyes that you can just, like, you can play a game of, like, statue with each other, like, for hours on end. You, you remember, those, remember those days. That's that first love that... Jesus is talking about, talking about that first love where you had that zeal. Everything was new. Everything was fresh. Your whole world was changed and you couldn't get enough of Christ. I believe he means that. But I also, I also think he means this. By your, by your first love, it means that first and priority also. Because one of the first messages that Jesus taught his disciples was this. You can't love God and mammon. You can't love material things and God at the same time. One of them's going to give, and it's usually God that gives. And Jesus said, you're going to have to love one or the other. In other words, prioritizing. And so the, the reality is, is this, your first love cannot, can be not just your zeal, but whether the love for Christ is a priority in your life. I believe both of them are equally, can be equally applied in this context. That both of them are equally true. That they had, they had left their first love, their zeal. Because when you start losing your first love and zeal, then other things can become your priority. Do you get that? When you start losing that fire and that zeal for God then other things will creep in and you'll start loving something more than you will love Christ. And the reality is, is that Christ wants 100%. And as soon as we start creeping in even a little bit, Christ is already number two. And you say, well, it's just a little bit. But that's not how Christ works. It's all or none with him. He's he's selfish in that sense and he has every right to be. And so this love that Jesus said, you have left your first love. The church in Ephesus, love had waxed cold, and it wasn't, it was be, um, and their love for him wasn't the priority that they had before. You know what the problem wasn't? Even this morning, 
was, we were talking at men's prayer meeting afterwards, and even pastor brought it up. I didn't say anything. I'm like, man, you're, you're right on my message tonight, you know, that they had begun to play church. They had begun to go through church. I know I even talked to Heath about this, had grown up in church, and he had learned to do church. Yeah. And we can learn to do church. We can learn to do works. We can learn to go through the motions. We can come up here and we can pray for an offering. And man, it sounds good, but it means nothing more than, than some info commercial. Yeah. means nothing. We can do good for our, our neighbors, and it doesn't, doesn't mean that it means anything towards our love towards Christ. You may just say, well, that's what I, that's what I should be doing. Sometimes we just get caught up. We know the right thing that we need to be doing, and we're just doing the right thing for the right thing, but not for the right reason. Yeah. You, you see, they had learned to become orthodox in their religion, and Christ is saying, I'm not looking just for you being orthodox and getting this standard. I'm not consider what you what you're doing as why you are doing it. You see, I think, and it's so easy for us as humans and fallen creatures that get we get blocked into this so much so into the doing and what is going on than the why behind what we're doing. No, it really is. I mean, I grew up in a Protestant church, and it's always been a fight in my own life. Just sit there and go, okay, you're saved. This is what I need to be doing. And I believe that. Christ says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. And there's plenty of them to keep, plenty of them to work on. But the problem is, we get so busy in the keeping of it that we forgot why we're keeping them in the first place. Because the keeping of them is to be motivated by a love which Christ has shed abroad in our hearts when we put our faith and trust in him as our savior. That's exactly the, the, the reason and premise behind it. You see, this is, this is what we're, we're, we're getting at, that as a church and as an individual, because a church is made up of individuals, that it has both a collective and an individual application. That you, and as, a, as an individual, us as a church, have to be careful that we just become so orthodox in what we are doing that we forget the reason why we're doing it and the love that's supposed to be behind it because you can have all the works in the world. Teenagers, you could be, you could be you're, your parents give you these rules and you're just following them and you're doing great, but you know what? Your heart is not in it for the right reasons. You, you're listening to your parents, and, and your parents are maybe even pleased with what you're doing. But Christ might not be, because you're just obeying them just because you're told to do it. And Christ is saying, I don't want you to do it just because you're told you to do it. But why? The why behind it. You are saved, so, and your love should be the motivation why you should want to obey your parents. Well, I don't like their rules. I know you don't like the rules because I make them and my kids don't like them. But I want them to obey, not because dad has to come down with an iron fist, but because there is a God who sent his son to this earth that saved them, and that should be your motivation. Not motivation because pastor got up and preached or brother Samuel got up and preached, but because God saved you. These messages that pastor preaches, you, you know, I mean, there's things in my own life that I got work. I wish you wouldn't mention them sometimes, you know. It's just like, you know, it's like 
talking about, you know, you have a fight in your marriage and you're to forgive one another. Is it all together? To, it, yeah, I can forgive, but your motivation for forgiving isn't, shouldn't be because, okay, that's what God says. It's because in like Ephesians it says, because Christ has forgiven us, we should therefore forgive others who offend us. I'm just boiling this stuff down. You just have to read your Bible for, for sure. You know what I'm saying? And, and so regardless, if, if I'm at, at, and when I'm at work and uh, my boss says do this and do that and do, do this, and there's plenty of things at work I don't want to do. And it's just like, I mean, I'll just go clean a bathroom other than do that. I mean, I don't know, but I don't like that. But I go ahead and do that. And you say, well, that's good. You should do that. But if my heart's not right with it, then I'm really, though as obedient as I am, God's not pleased with it. Because God says, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Don't, do, don't obey your boss because you're a men pleasers. That, that's in the Bible. You obey because of, of you want to glorify and honor God because you love him so much. That's the reason why I want to obey. It's just like praying for the government. I mean, we, we sit there, well, 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 we'll pray for our government. Those guys are a bunch of rascals. I'm just not going to deny that fact. We're like, okay, we'll pray and offer. But we really just go through the motions, right? But the reality is we should pray for them motivated out of a love because of what Christ has done for us. And the same Redeemer that redeemed your soul, they're in the same position you were in. And you just happened to have the truth presented to you. You believed it and received it. So that's the difference. You see, this goes on and on. Your, we talk about your Bible reading. Your Bible reading and your, and your devotional life. Man, you need to have that. I, I'm, I'm seriously, you need to have a daily Bible reading and prayer time. need to have that. But you need to have it for the right reason. Because how many of us have just gone through days on end, which is, I read my Bible and prayed today, and your motivation for it shouldn't be getting up, like, okay, I got my orthodox religious fix in this morning. It should be because God saved me. I think he wrote something for me today. Maybe I should read my Bible. Maybe I should pray. Just maybe God will get me out of the funk I'm in right now. Because I love him. We give the offering. And uh, it's good to give, give offering. Really, offerings are a really good indication of whether your really love is towards God. Because usually your, your, the amount you give is usually an indication of where your heart is. It, it is a barometer of, of some things. But also, this is possible to give generously buckets into the offering plate. And it means nothing really to God. Because you didn't do it without a heart of love. Oh, that's in the Bible too, because there's this, Jesus talked about this little widow woman that, you know, she just had a couple pennies in her pocket, and this guy had some big bucks in his wallet. He scraped some few bucks out of there when he still had a couple hundred left in there, and she just dumped it all in, and she's like, I don't even know where I'm getting food tonight, but I gave it all to God. Do you see the difference? One had a love towards God, and one didn't have a love towards God. You see, we can have love works. And we can have pile it on and we can make a list. But let me ask you, are your love works really love works? Because your love works doesn't mean that your love works. You know, you say, well, this is simple. It is. Love works, but doesn't mean 
that love works. You see, we need to be careful. I found this little story, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I think sometimes maybe our love doesn't work and it doesn't take first priority. It can be by this because it can be illustrated in this story. Listen to this. A wealthy couple threw a party on the occasion of the christening of their first child. Many guests were invited <clears throat> to their beautiful home, and everyone was having a wonderful time celebrating the joyous occasion when someone asked, where's the baby? Suddenly, the mother bolted from the room and ran into the master bedroom. There, in the middle of the king-sized bed, she found her baby, suffocated under the coats of its guests. That baby that had been so much loved to her, other things had taken priority for that mother and the love that she had was suffocated on the bed. And I wonder in an illustration if other things in our life, that love for Christ is what's laying in the middle of our bed and we're just packing coats on there and Christ's love is suffocating and dying in our, in our lives. It's like cutting out, cutting, putting that damper on on your fire, fire stove and you can just watch that flame go down and you're just cranking on that damper. And pretty soon before you know it, your love is suffocated and it's out. Now I'm thankful that, okay, Christ, you brought us that far. But you know what? I'm so thankful that Christ didn't say, yep, I'm just going to leave you there. But he builds people, he tears people down. Jesus does this because when he can tear you down and break you, then he can rebuild you and mold you into something better. It's like the $6 million man or whatever you know, we can build it bigger and better. And that's what Christ is wanting to do here. Because he gives the recipe that love works doesn't mean love works. It can. And he gave the, uh, the alliteration here. And he says in this, he says, uh, here's the recipe. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. He says, you need to remember. Again, I think it means two things. Remember where thou art, from whence thou art fallen. One is this, remember where you are at and how you, what God did for you when he saved you. And even if you've grown up in a, in a Christian home, remember, remember where thou art fallen because you, it could have been a whole lot worse. You could have experienced a whole lot more things that, that some of us in this room wish we could erase from our minds. But we can't. But remember where thou art fallen and what God saved you from and what God rescued you from, where you could have been at. What would have happened if you would have just, if you would have just took, took the wrong turn? I can remember things in my own, own life, running, running away from a highway patrol officer at high speeds on a gravel road, and then I'm still here tonight to be able to say that thank God in his mercy that he saved me and that I am born again. Remember where you are fallen. Remember what you were without Christ. Remember that condition. Remember when you couldn't sleep at night and, and that you didn't know what it was going to be like when you woke up the next day where you had that emptiness and that pit in your stomach and that things were all tied up and you didn't know how it was going to turn out and then Christ came and he saved you. Y'all remember those days. I think that's what he's saying. Remember from where thou art fallen. Ephesians, remember you were involved in ungodly pagan religion. You were involved in the things of this world. You were dabbling in the vanity fair market, what you could get your hands on. But remember what I saved you out of. You see, remember that. You have a salvation story, not just to be a story. 
You know, like sometimes we just have these stories, I read it once and I shove it on the back of my bookshelf. This is a story that's supposed to be reread and shared with everybody. And you're supposed to continue to dwell upon that. But I also think he means this. You need to remember where thou art fallen. You remember how you first loved me when you first got saved? You remember how you really served me? Man, a pastor had to change his phone number because you wouldn't quit calling him. I mean, you remember how good it was? And now look at you. We've got to beg you to come to church now. We've got to beg you to give in the offering. That all of a sudden now it's just like, huh, I didn't read my Bible or pray today. Well, how long has it been? Ah, a few weeks. Mm -hmm. Are there people like that in the room? Yeah, I believe so. Because I, I, I've come in to realize now everyone's reading and reading their Bible and praying. I really believe that. Maybe it's not been three weeks, but I really believe there's people in here that probably aren't reading their Bible and praying. Just being real with you tonight. And the fact of the matter is, is you remember how it used to be when you first got your Bible and you used to read it, used to memorize verses and all those things? Now what? Now what? Or you got it down, you got, now you, you got this little Bible plan, you read three chapters a day, and boom. But what have you gotten out of it? Have you really read it because you loved reading your Bible? Or are you reading it because, well, mom and dad keep hounding me about it, or preacher keeps saying it. Now this other guy they have preaching tonight, he's even worse than the others. And he's, he's going on about that too. But it used to not be that way in your life. Remember how thou art fallen. Remember where you're at. Remember that love when you first got saved. And now put it up to where you are right now. And compare those two. Are you getting an exact reflection? Or has that reflection now become distorted? That is now the, the, what you were and what you are aren't the same people in the mirror. You see, Christ says you need to remember where, that, where you came from and remember how it was. You need to remember that. It's important for you. And then he says, remember, and then he says to repent. See, Christ is into alliterations too. He says, remember where thou art fallen and repent. Pastor preached a message on that, and I'm, I'm in agreement. There are some people that, say, that even want to preach against repentance. There are some people. I'm not one of those people. Because repentance is, I'm going to have a change of mind about who I am and where I'm at right now. I don't like who I am. I don't like where I'm at. I really don't like what's being said tonight, not because I'm saying it because God's convicting you. And I do not like being in that position tonight, and I don't want to stay in that position, and I absolutely need to do something about it. Is that not what biblical repentance is? That awareness that I am not right. That the works that I'm claiming to do tonight in the name of Christ, really though everyone else thinks they're good works and that they're works of love, really are nothing more than a shell game of itself. And that I am not right. I've been living this life of hypocrisy. And it's time that I come down here and I learn to and, and have God change my heart to what I do with them is out of love and sincerity. Not just out of routine. 
Not just because, well, that's what's expected out of me. Or that's, well, pastor asked me to do it. No, because your heart is convicted and you say, I need to do these things because what Christ has done for me. Because he loved me enough to give everything for me. We sing that, that song, saying broken and spilled out. That's where you need to get tonight is broken and spilt out before God and say, I'm not, my, I'm not right. And, and you know what? I might have been running at 100 degrees and I'm down to 82 tonight. And God, will you put something back in the fireplace? Will you open the damper back up? Would you put the billows on it tonight and, and just rev it up a little bit more? That's where, that's where he says, remember and repent. And then following that, he says this. He says, remember and repent. And then he says, do the, do the first works. The best way I can describe this is I grew up on the old Nintendo. You know, the old Nintendo thing? I, I love that thing. Bought it with my own money. Worked hard for it. It was wonderful. But you know what I liked about those things? It's got a reset button on it. I'm like, yep, failed that game. Well, that's all right. I'll reset it again. And we'll try it again. And try it again. And try it again. And Christ is saying, hit the reset button. Remember, repent, and let's reset some things. Okay? It's not enough just to sit there and remember and to be sorry for it and repent. If you're really repentant, then you'll get up and you'll do something about it. Is that not what John said when he said, bring forth fruits, therefore, worthy of repentance? That you'll get back there and my works are, you know what, God, I'm going to get up in the morning. And you say, well, I'm, when I read my Bible, I say, God, you know what, I, my heart's not in it this morning. But God, I'm going to pray that you'll help my heart to be right. And I pray that you'll help me to really read my Bible or to really serve you the way that I ought to. Do I think it's probably going to happen overnight? I hope it does. But it might not. But the more you pray that, the more you humble yourself before God, before long, the ice thaw will happen. Just like we're going to have an ice thaw someday, Pastor. Don't worry about it. It's coming. But there will be a thawing of that heart and its affections. If you'll just get down there and you'll just sit there and go and just be honest with God. If, that's what God wants. God, my heart's not in this. But I know you love me so much, God. And God, that same love that you have towards me, I'm going to ask, then you help me to have that same love in my own life towards what you have. And I believe there's a God in heaven that says, I like that. I can work with that. And we can change some things. If you have a spirit like that, I tell you this, you won't, it won't be a drudge coming into, into church. Even on a Wednesday night after you've only had a half an hour by the time you clocked out and you got here, you're like, oh, I'm at church. No, you'll be like, whoo, I'm at church. I'm tired, but praise God, I'm at church. And here, here I am. Hey, hey, preacher, I might be sleeping on the pew, but you'd rather have me sleep on the couch? All right, at least I'm here, all right? But, but you, know, you know what I'm saying? But that excitement to be, want to be back and, and to be back and enjoying the things of, things of God. That when we have a, have a missions conference that goes for five days, you'd be like, only five? Don't we have more missionaries than that? Can't we do like ten? I'd be all in favor of that. You know what I'm saying? And he says you need to remember, repent, and redo the first works. But also this. He also gives us a warning. He gave a warning. He said, I will, if you do not change, I will remove your candlestick. 
I think we can, we can say this tonight. One is this absolutely came true like Christ said it would. How many of you know where the church of Ephesus is at today? How many missionaries are they sending out? Who's their pastor right now? Oh, they don't have a church, do they? They don't have a missions program. They're not helping their city out. They're not reaching lost souls anymore. Because he said, if you're not going to get things right, what you were in the past is not what you will be in the future. And what you were in the past will be totally different. I believe that's some of our condition why we lose people from church or why we've already lost people that are sitting in this church tonight is this. What you were is not what you are right now because you failed to follow Christ's commandment and follow what Christ's exhortation here. Because where you are right now is nothing close to what you were before. Because the church in Ephesus was a shining light and a beacon. They were on fire for God. And then at some point, no more. And they were warned. And I'll tell you this, it could happen collectively as, as I think our church is vibrant right now. But I'm not ignorant enough to think that it can stay vibrant without the effort of its people. No, really. If everyone's like, well, that's his problem. Well, then then it becomes your problem, and it's like an infection, and pretty soon what we become is a Protestant Baptist church. We're just going through orthodox, and we're just sitting there going through all the motion, and then we wonder, where did, where, why do we have, why is their name changed to Ichabod? That the glory of the Lord has departed. See, Christ says, yeah, all right, you need to be careful. Because I'm taking this serious. But notice this. Not only does he tell us that, but he says, you know what, I'll tell you how to get it right, but your motivation for keeping it right. Because it says at the end of verse 7, and verse seven he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. To him that overcome will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. <laughs> you know where that tree was last mentioned? They had this thing in the Garden of Eden. They got to eat of that. And they ate of that. They had eternal life. I mean, they had perfect fellowship with God. Sin came in, destroyed it, and wrecked it. But you know what? God just transplanted the tree. He said, oh, just move it up, move it to heaven. They got some good waters up here. And what, he's, what I think Christ was trying to say is this is keep your heart going. Keep your love in it because in the end it will be absolutely worth it all. We will, we will be able to enjoy eternal life in the presence of Jesus Christ. We will, we, and the idea that I get from eating of the tree of life isn't like, oh, you get a bite, you get a bite. No, we just, we're feasting on the presence of God himself. That's the idea that I get from that. And so tonight we need to look at our own, own lives. Don't look across the room. Ask God's Holy Spirit to search your own heart and see if your works are really love works tonight. As I was reading and studying for this message, I, someone had said, you know, we sing that song, Oh, How I Love Jesus. He said, how many people are singing, Oh, How I Loved Jesus? One letter, Oh, How I Loved Jesus. I used to love him. But I think to myself when I read that, I'm like, do you know what? I don't want that song. The song that I want is this, this song. And I think we... I first started singing it when I was on, on the, on the um, doing church bus ministry. But the song, 
I just keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. It gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. I keep falling in love with my Lord over and over and over and over again. And it may be time that you fall in love with your Savior all over again. It may be time to come down here and go, you know what? Our relationship's been strained. And you know what? I'm going to make things right. I want to reconcile. I want to serve you not out of a drudgery, but because you're so good and loving to me that even in my wayward state, you'll forgive me and forget that anything ever was between us. And you'll make it just like it was all over again. That's how he wants it to be. And that's how he wants it for you. He wants you to keep falling in love with him over and over again. So your good work, so your love works, really are love works. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll have a time of invitation here. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.